Welcome to the Practical Idealist Podcast, aligning what is good with what is possible. I'm your host, Allison Bueller, Director of the Homestead Education Center, and the focus on this show is real change for better health, home, and community. Our little podcast is growing iTunes emailed us and said, congratulations, you are ranked number 57 on how-to podcasts in the United States. It's exciting to know that sharing our practical knowledge on how to improve our lives and the lives of those around us resonates with people. Please help us continue to grow by sharing this episode with someone who needs to hear it. Little by little, we can make big change. While women continue to be the primary caregivers of children, many of us, including myself, are notoriously averse to delving into the practical financial aspects that would ultimately protect our children. This podcast episode is for those of us who need to understand the five most important steps we can take to protect our children's financial futures. And to do this, I've enlisted a smart mother of three who made a career of finding out how to do it well. This podcast is a project of the Homestead Education Center, a nonprofit organization located in Starkville, Mississippi. We have our annual writer's retreat coming up in just two weekends, and we've got about three spots left. If you're ready to learn how to get your words into the world, sign up on the website under events at www.thehomesteadcenter.org. We just began our third book in our online Conscious Living Book Club. We read Conscious Parenting in August, and there's a great summary of that on our podcast episode where we interviewed Cassie Lapilio, who led that book. We finished up Barefoot and Balanced in September, where we learned about the importance of getting kids out into nature. And now we've just begun Climate, a new story by Charles Eisenstein. You can join us in our member Facebook group. And if you're not a member yet, sign up and we'll add you. For as little as the price of a Netflix rental a month, you can keep our programming coming. Go to www.com thehomesteadcenter.org and sign up for the membership level that's right for you. And we've got a challenge for you this month based on our book that we're reading. My daughter, who's 10 years old, really got into YouTube channels that talked about reducing waste. And I thought she was wasting her time. Apparently, she was learning some valuable information. Yesterday, she wanted to go to the store to try to buy two dinners worth, two breakfast worth, and snacks of food at our local grocery store and she wanted to do it without buying any plastic. I thought it would be fun. Let me tell you, it was eye-opening. Not one thing on our list came without some form of plastic. So see what you can do this week, and let us know in our Facebook page, or email us at thehomesteadms at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at The Practical Idealist. This episode is brought to you by our Keep It Local sponsor, Lydia Quarles, attorney at law. Lydia is a youth court judge and an advocate of women's legal and economic issues, and she supports our programming. You can support her local business by making an appointment to make a will. That is, you are about to hear in today's show is a vital step in protecting your family. And now, on with our interview. Our guest today on The Practical Idealist is financial advisor and life insurance professional, Barbara Coates. I met Barbara because she was all over town volunteering where I was. And she's the only person in my community who enjoys giving out money more than the homestead. 
Her business at Modern Woodman of America makes a priority of giving back. Modern Woodman is a fraternal organization, which means they are owned by their members, and any profits from doing business must go back into local communities. They are financial advisors with hearts, and that matched exactly our mission at the homestead. Most important, Barbara is a mom of three and grandmother of four who understands how much parents want to take care of their children's financial futures. And she's going to help us do that for our kids today on The Practical Idealist. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. Let's start by having you tell us a little about your background and how you got into financial planning and why you chose your particular company. Sure. Um, I have worked at Mississippi State University for a long time, nearly 20 years. And while I loved the students with whom I worked, I had an MBA I wasn't using. There was always too much month at the end of the money. And I knew it just wasn't going anywhere. I wanted more for my family, more for myself, and more for my future retired self. Um, I specifically sought a career in financial planning, which is a little unusual. A lot of people just fall into financial planning. I wanted to know how to invest, how to make my money work for me, and how to have more than the state of Mississippi could afford me after 30 years of work. My husband and I also had an older couple whom we idolized, and all our married life we talked about traveling like that couple did. I wanted to find a way to make that dream come true. So I talked with other advisors, I interviewed with several companies, and then I landed on Modern Woodman completely by accident or by the grace of God, whatever you choose to believe. Um, I found a posting on a career site, and the thing that caught my eye was the fraternal aspect of the company. See, all my adult life, I had been a mother of three very active boys. I spent years chasing them from one ball field to another all over the state. I was active in their school, and I was, like so many people listening to this podcast, a very busy mother. And then all of a sudden I wasn't. And I found that my sphere of friends were no more. Their children had all, all grown up too. So when I found Modern Woodman and learned that part of my career with this company would involve being active in Starkville and Octibiha County, that I would be required to conduct really cool service projects, well, it just fit me to a T. Obviously, there was much education and licensing to follow, but eight years later, here I am. Oh, thank you so much for joining us because you know the things that so many of us need to know. And we're going to narrow this big topic of financial futures down to what parents can do in order to protect our children's financial futures. We're going to start by talking about debt. What can you tell us about preparing our kids for financial success when it, has to, when it comes to debt? One of the things that I think, Allison, we as a society have done to our younger children is to shelter and pamper them entirely too much. One of my favorite authors of child-rearing books is John Rosemond. And I'll never forget this line from his six-point plan for raising healthy, happy children, which I read several times when my boys were small. But he said, it's our duty as parents to frustrate our children. I'm getting an A-plus in that part. (laughs) I live that one, too. So by giving our children everything they need or want, we rob them of the joy of earning. And by not teaching them the value of the dollar, we cripple their adult selves. I believe very strongly that children should be involved in family finances to an appropriate level, of course. And I believe that children should have spending money and should learn from trial and error how to handle that money. For example, when little Johnny spends all his money on candy or whatever video game is popular, he shouldn't also get to go to the movie on Friday night by having Mama pay for it. There's lessons. Mm -hmm. 
And in our house, our kids all had checking accounts by about the age of 14. They learned to balance the accounts and were expected to do so. In my knowledge, no one has ever overdrafted. And we also taught them about credit cards. Um, and this might surprise you, they all got credit cards when they graduated from high school. They also learned how to use that card wisely. They started by charging gas on the card and then paying it off every week or two. The sole purpose of this activity was to build credit. So I know Dave Ramsey says we don't need credit when we pay cash for everything, but most of us don't live in Dave Ramsey's world. And a good credit score impacts everything from your home interest rate to your auto insurance premium, even to your ability to get life insurance. That's something most people don't know. That's really interesting because I hadn't thought about the fact that you need to build credit while your parents can help you do that in a safe way. Exactly. Another factor for discussion is student loans. Um, and let me say this, I firmly believe that not every person needs to attend traditional college or a traditional four-year university. We're sorely lacking in tradespeople in this country, and I'm happy to see that discussion coming more and more to the forefront. That said, the traditional path for young people today, especially here in a university town, is that high school graduation leads to college matriculation, which often leads to crippling student loan debt. So student loan debt in the first quarter of 2019 in the United States was $1.4 trillion. If you do research on the number of people with student loan debt who don't even have degrees or who aren't even paying back their student loans because they can't find jobs, it's absolutely frightening. So as a financial advisor, I work with parents to set up college savings plans. But you know what? I believe that college savings plans are most appropriate when both the kids and the parents or grandparents are contributing. Mm. And quite simply, some people can't afford to go to college. To get into hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt for a degree that's going to produce a job with a starting salary of forty dollars to $50,000 is just not wise in my book. I could go on all day about this subject, but the gist of my advice is that attending college and paying for it should be part of a well-thought-out plan, not just an habitual next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we need to train our children how to manage money at a young age mm-hmm. and give them experiences with that. And then we need to really think about what are we, what are we giving them when, they're, when we're sending them on to college? Are we giving them a good shot at earning income or are we giving them just a very high load of debt? Exactly. So number two, let's talk about life insurance for ourselves. Well, I have always, always been a believer in life insurance. I've literally never spent a moment of my life without coverage. It was just part of my family culture, and that's something I try to talk to my clients about. Well, that said, the thing I feared most about my new career eight years ago was being a, quote, life insurance agent. I could just see people turning their heads as I walked into a room or or walking away from me. But you know what I pretty quickly figured out is that life insurance is a beautiful tool. And if a person doesn't get that, then I, I truly do feel sorry for them because they're missing out. So my one example I give is when you buy a new car, you wouldn't dream of driving that car off the lot without heading straight to your insurance agent's office if you haven't already made the call to him or her while at the dealership. So is that $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 vehicle worth more than your family's well-being, comfort, and safety? Well, of course not. The average monthly car insurance premium is $125. Yet many people, when thinking about life insurance, say, I can't afford $125 a month for life insurance. Well, for a healthy 35-year-old man, I ran the numbers, $125 a month would buy that man just under $1.5 million in life insurance. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on about this, but, but what I ask is anyone to do is to truly sit quietly for a few minutes 
and think very seriously about what your household would look like if you didn't wake up tomorrow. Could your spouse stay in the home you're in? Could your children stay in the same school? Would your husband have to hire help for the household and could he afford it? Would your wife have to go to work or take a second job to keep the bills paid? Now imagine that you're lying sick in a hospital bed, knowing that the end is near and that this very tough situation is the very one you're leaving behind. See, this, this is, sounds very tough, but waking up dead is not the worst thing in the world. Knowing that you're dying and that you're leaving a mess behind is far worse. And life insurance takes care of that situation and for literally pennies on the dollar. Yeah, and it is something hard to think about. I think Mike and I put this off because you don't want to think about death and your kids and leaving no. your family. No, you don't. But you have to unless you want to leave your family with a mess that they are going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is something that I had not ever thought about, but talk to us on number three about life insurance for our kids. Another area about which I'm very passionate. My children had life insurance days after they were born. My grandchildren had it moments after they were born. Is this morbid? No, it's not. The reasons for insuring children's lives are many, but here are a few that I talk about frequently. So my youngest grandson at 14 months was diagnosed with egg and peanut allergies. Because a peanut allergy is life-threatening, he's not insurable. Ever. Ever. That means that if I had not already bought him life insurance in the minutes after he was born, he could likely never purchase it. Now, there are always exceptions, and and people do outgrow allergies. I mean, I know you know that. Um, However, when he's married and has a family and needs life insurance, he might very well be able to do nothing to provide for them in the case of his untimely death. However, I took care of that by insuring him as an infant, and then I added a rider that guarantees he can add more life insurance. And the huge cost of this, Allison, is about $4 a month. Wow. Um, So here's another true story. My adult niece would not talk about life insurance for her children. She refused. I can still see her shaking her head. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, Then her co-worker's child got cancer. After two years of treatments, thank goodness, he recovered and today is doing very well. However, the family's entire savings was spent, including college savings for the family's other two children. Mm. My niece actually came to me and said, it just hit me that if we were in that situation and my child had died, not only would my other children have lost their sibling, but also their future. I want life insurance in place to protect those who live, not those who die. And it was like a light bulb came on. She Mm -hmm. got it. She finally Mm -hmm. got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is something that I had never thought about, and it's something that we will be looking into very, very soon. (laughs) So thank you for telling us why that's so important and and how it applies. Number four is investing in our... Number four is investing for our future so that we aren't a burden. Let's talk about what strategies that we can use as parents to invest wisely so that we aren't bearing down our own financial issues on our children when they are come of age. Sure. And I continue to be shocked at the number of people in our country, especially in this town, in this area, where we are such a highly educated community, but the number of people whose entire retirement plan is Social Security. Small business owners are the absolute worst. Um, they spend their working lives building a business, pouring all they have into that business, meanwhile forgetting to save for retirement. The average Social Security retirement benefit today is a whopping $1,400. And for many seniors, the monthly pharmacy bill comes close to that amount. Mm -hmm. So to have a good quality of life with only Social Security as income is just not typically possible. 
So in America, the problem we face for retirement is, as I said, Social Security is not enough. Workplace retirement plans are shrinking. Pensions are a thing of the past. And then we're living longer and longer. My own mother's 99 years old. There simply is no other option but to save on our own. We can't depend on the things our parents and grandparents could depend on. What did you say today? Whose pension? Who just cut their pension? Uh, General, Elect- General Electric just froze their pension. And that was a huge employer. Yeah, huge, huge employer. That's right. Um, and so putting money into a jar in the backyard is not going to do it. Investing for the long term using tax-advantaged vehicles All these are strategies I help people with in planning for retirement. Uh, We have to take things into our own hands. The days of the company taking care of us are just gone. And also, while we're on the subject of Social Security, I do work with individuals and couples to develop Social Security claiming strategies. I had this conversation with somebody just yesterday. Starting to draw your benefit at age 62 is getting to be standard in our culture. People just naturally assume that's when they should draw it, but often it's a mistake. And we don't have time for all the details here, but suffice it to say there are strategies. And uh, there are sometimes reasons to draw at 62. Sometimes there are very good reasons to delay that drawing. And I'm happy to talk to anybody about that individually. Can you tell people, I meant to ask you this, but can you tell people how they can check their Social Security standing? Yes, I'm so glad you asked. It's very easy. You go to ssa.gov. So that's socialsecurityadministration.gov. And you establish your own account, and it's it's uh, they're looking for details. So they want your social security number, your name, a phone number, several different things. My advice is don't link your phone number to your account when you get started. It delays your registration. But once you get in there and they have confirmed that you are that person, then you can look at two things. Number one, you look at your earnings history, and it's literally every year that you have contributed to Social Security your entire life. It goes back that far. And the second thing it looks at is what your benefits will be at age 62, at your full retirement age, at age 70. It looks at what disability benefits will be, and these are real numbers. One reason this is important, Allison, is that if your numbers, if your reporting, your earnings has been misreported at any point, you have three years to correct that. Uh, It's something like three years, three months, and three days. Once you've passed that time frame, you cannot go back and correct it. So if there was an error in your reporting five years ago, it's not in there. Well, your your benefit is based on your highest 30 years of employment. So if you've got several faulty zeros in there, you really have dinged your benefit for the future. And once you sign on to the site, they send you an annual reminder to go in and check. So I, I encourage everybody to do it. Make sure your spouse does it. Make sure your siblings do it. Any adult needs to do this on a regular basis. That's really good advice. Let's talk about wills. I know that we are bringing up several uncomfortable topics for people, but this and this was a big one for us. We, I think our children were two and four when we finally did a will and got around to, to filing it. And we just couldn't bring ourselves, we talked about it a lot, we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it. Can you talk to us about how important this piece is? I can. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, your, your, your friends who are listening to this are never going to want to see me. <laughs> All the uncomfortable topics. Well, um, I hope that, I I think we women have a way of bringing out these subjects a little more softly and a little more easily uh, just by nature. And so I find that that I can bring them up and people then will will talk. But yes, wills. Um, I'm not an attorney. However, I'm I'm just as passionate about end-of-life planning as I am about retirement planning and life insurance. I've seen in my business what happens with a good plan for all of these things, and I've seen what happens with a bad plan or no plan. 
So if a person dies without a valid will, that person dies intestate. The laws governing intestacy in Mississippi are pretty tough, and it's quite possible for a large chunk of a person's estate to get eaten away by attorneys and other legal fees, and nobody wants that. If a married person dies without a will, anything that is jointly owned by the couple typically reverts to the surviving spouse. However, any, for anything that is not jointly owned, this is important, if it's not jointly owned, the spouse gets only a child's portion in Mississippi. So I have a quick horror story for you, and I'll try to make it clear so we can keep the character straight. Tom and Sue were married. It was a second marriage for Tom. He had two young children with Sue and two young children from his first marriage, all kids under the age of 10. That marriage, the first marriage, did not end well, and the first wife really, really disliked Sue, so there was not much cooperation happening there. Tom and Sue lived in his family home, which was in his name alone, and in the meantime, they were building their million-dollar dream home. Tom owned his own business, into which he sank all of his efforts and money, so no retirement plan. It was all in the business. Sue did not work, and Tom had talked about getting life insurance, but had not made it a priority. Then Tom died suddenly and without a will. So Sue now has no income because without Tom, the business ceased to exist. Sue got a child's share of everything Tom owned, which means she just became a one-fifth owner in Tom's family home, sharing that ownership with her children and with Tom's children from his first marriage. Remember, those children were minors, so who controls their share is the ex-wife who doesn't like Sue. Mm -hmm. The house under construction could never be finished and was taken over by the bank. Sue wanted to at least sell the family home and move to something smaller, but because Tom's children are minors, Sue is basically in home ownership with Tom's ex-wife, and she would not agree to the sale. So all of these issues could have been avoided with a will to give ownership of everything to Sue and with life insurance to replace Tom's income and pay off the new house. And this story really did happen. An attorney friend of mine came to me to say, look, you've got to tell people about this. Yeah. And these are the things that we don't think about. You don't, you don't want to go there in your mind, and so you avoid it. But just sitting down, and I think it's like, what, $200 to write a will with yeah, a lawyer? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Could save your family such such heartache. And so we finally we finally got that done, and, and it feels really good once you have it in place it to does. know that your kids will be taken. People my age are called the sandwich generation. We're still caring for kids, but we're also starting to take on the responsibility of caring for aging parents. Can you talk a little bit about what we need to be aware of here? Absolutely. Um, and it's ironic that we're recording this today. So that phrase, the sandwich generation, is so accurate. Uh, as we speak, my husband is in his second week in Kentucky helping his father. Uh, his father had a, a heart, a pretty massive heart attack a month ago, um, had one stent placed, uh, was cleared to go to Kentucky to visit family, got up there, had another heart attack, and has been too sick to transfer, too sick to have open heart surgery. And so my husband has missed almost two weeks of work up there caring for his father. And it's today, as we, as I'm talking, he's in surgery. Uh, so there's not a real clear end in sight as to when he can come home. He's five hours away. Um, my father died 15 years ago, and we had been caring for him and mama for several years by then. Meanwhile, I had three children who were still in elementary or high school. Thank goodness I have siblings to share the responsibility, and we all get along. But this could be such a nightmare. The very first thing I tell people is that these conversations surrounding elder care cannot be put off. Um, so, men so many times dementia or fragile health of a senior doesn't happen slowly, giving us time to think and talk and make plans. 
It often happens like a freight train crashing into the house one day. In our case, my mother was fine, living at home alone and active. Then one morning about 10 a.m., she called my brother frantic that people were trying to break into the house. And that was the start of her dementia. Not a sign until that day. And nearly seven years later, we deal with it daily. So ask the questions. If your parents, aunts, uncles, whomever you might be responsible for doesn't want to have the conversation, you might just have to force it. We talked about wills, but also powers of attorney, medical health care directives, getting multiple signers on checking accounts. All of these things are critical, especially as we get older. I'm only 54, but my family has known for years what I want to happen, who will take care of what, how I do and do not want to live. Um, and I would say at this point that you know, a financial advisor, a CPA, an attorney are a really good team to help a family with these conversations and decisions. A, a word of caution, I'm dealing with a situation right now with a client where um, the, the, the mother gave power of attorney to her adult daughter, but there's a piece of the POA missing. The daughter is not able to take care of everything she needs to take care of because the POA was not written correctly. Hmm. So a good attorney, an experienced attorney who has done a lot of estate planning and can help you think through the what ifs is, is absolutely critical. Don't go online and find a will or a power of attorney and say this is good enough because they may not think of everything. So there's far too much to go into. I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone anytime about any of this. Well, thank you so much for helping us today. And please remember to share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. My husband and I have been dealing with these things slowly and reluctantly over the last 10 years, but we've finally got them in place. And I can tell you it's a big relief when you do. Also, Barbara will be answering questions on our Twitter feed over the next week. So give us a shout at The Practical Idealist on Twitter and let us know what your thoughts are or what further questions you have. And I'll, I'll forward those on to Barbara and she'll be glad to answer them. I'll also put her contact information in the show notes and she's happy to talk with anyone uh, questions after they hear this information. It's a lot to take in and I wanted to do it quickly and as painlessly as possible, but we've really got to deal with these issues in our lives to protect our financial futures and the financial futures of our kids. So everyone who tweets us this week will be entered into a drawing for a free annual membership to the Homestead Education Center. And that includes access to all our online resources through the member portal. And we will announce our winner on next week's show. Thank you so much, Barbara. Thank you.